Sometime during eternity, some guys show up, and one of them who shows up real late is a kind of carpenter from some square type place like Galilee. And he starts wailing and claiming he is hip to who made heaven and earth, and that the cat who really laid it on us is his dad. Moreover, he adds, it's all writ down on some scroll-type parchments which some henchmen leave lying around the Dead Sea somewheres a long time ago and which you won't even find for a couple thousand years or so, or at least for 1947 of them to be exact. And even then, nobody really believes them, or me for that matter. You're hot, they tell him. And they cool him, they stretch him on the tree to cool. And everybody after that is always making models of his tree, with him hung up and always crooning his name and calling him to come down and sit in on their combo, as if he is the king cat who's got a blow, or they can't quite make it. He don't come down from his tree. Him just hang there on his tree, looking real petered out and real cool. And also, according to a roundup of late world news from the usual unreliable sources, real dead. vinyl out of sight indeed that was a little lawrence ferlinghetti to welcome you back to act two of pacific theater's easter presence hope you had a good intermission full house for this show
There were well over 250 crammed into our spacious Soul Food Studios for last night's show, and that's just in the Facebook section. So we gave you a little longer than usual to check out the concession, use the facilities, get a bit of air, and settle back into your seats for another round. You Christmas presents regulars may recognize our favorite beat poet. Christ climbed down from his bare tree this year and ran away. That guy. Who knew he did Easter, too? Hey, I'm hep to that. Before we get rolling here in Act 2, I should mention, all the artists performing today are listed in our program over at soulfoodvancouver.blogspot.com. But I recommend you don't check it out until after the show. Dim your screens and just settle in and listen to Soul Food Easter Presents. I am one of his disciples. I am one who bears his name. I am one of Satan's rivals. I am one and I am. Unashamed I am orphan Made a daughter I am a harlot Made a wife I am a poor man Called to dinner A stranger recognized And oh I am the image of a hidden glory And oh I am danced over died for willingly Oh I am the keeper of a coming kingdom And I'll
disciples I am one who bears the name I am one of Satan's rivals I am one and I skirts of Sikar, I bear my empty water jar to Jacob's well. Under searing sun, this daily trek is only one of the vexing complications of my day. Mornings I wake with dryness. I've dreamed again of water pots spilling, cracking, falling into shards. I rouse myself before others to keep my tryst with the tiny bird that darts and sings each morning by my door. This small fidelity is all that whets my appetite for another day. The sun is high. Each day is a new beginning, they say. I set out alone turning over like dusty prayer beads the usual string of questions. How is each day new? I am who I am, and was all the other beginnings. Where is my help? Neither in me, nor the man who is not my husband and isn't likely to stay. I look up to the hills, where is the one true worship that might lift me, even me, to the heights? Where is running water for this never-ending thirst? Where in this heat is there even one bird singing? My throat is dry. My feet hurt. I'll do well to fill my water pot and bear it home. I'll climb no blessed mountain today. Would that God were a man who'd come down off his holy hill and give me a hand drawing water, deep water from Jacob's ancient well, and sweet. I want sweet water. I want a soaking. Water enough to set a small bird singing under this scorching Samaritan sky.
She said, no, I never saw him before Well, they asked her, did you get his name? Well, he didn't tell me Somebody once said, so I'm told, that Jerusalem has more beggars than anywhere in the world. Whether it's true or not, I don't know. I've never been out to Jerusalem myself. And I've been a beggar all my life. Certainly, there are a great many of us. We supply a demand. People need to be reminded how lucky they are to count their blessings. Makes them feel good to give a coin. You'd think that people with a lot of blessings to be thankful for would give the most, wouldn't you? I mean, it follows, doesn't it? You know, rich people, big givers. Like hell. The givers are the poor people. Always have been. As I say, as you can see, there's a lot of us. Local colour, good tourist attraction. Though I must admit, looking around, a lot of us are not very pretty. Don't exactly beautify the landscape. High priest Caiaphas don't like us clutching up his beautiful temple. Neither did King Herod, whose money made it beautiful. Oh, we've been cleared out a number of times, but we creep back, you know. We creep back. Herod's sons, Archelaus and Antipas, they made similar noises. The Roman governors. 
Pontius Pilate, all of them tried to get rid of us. We are still here. It's all a great bloody game. Don't you tell me that most of us are perfectly able to do other work. I know. I'm willing. What job would you suggest for a man with no legs who can't read or write? I can manage without legs. I've always had to. But once or twice I've... I wish that I could read. One time in particular... I think of that occasion a lot. When Jesus of Galilee sat as near to me as you are. Just the once. But I remember it like yesterday. It's nearly uh, 11 years now. It's about 9 or 10 since he died. Nasty business. He was a remarkable man, the carpenter, in many ways. I always felt a sort of a kinship with him, you know. We had things in common, no money, no possessions, and we weren't fooled by people. I know he loved them all and I hate them all, but we knew about them, you know, they didn't fool us. I've sat on this stone seat in this corner near the gate of this part of the temple for nearly 50 years. I've seen it all. And if I tell you, most people are not worth tuppence. It's not because I've got no legs and I'm all twisted. It's because I've been observing people all my life. Every day. All day. I can't write a letter or read a book. So I sit and watch the whole stupid comedy. The way people rush about and hurt each other and think they're clever. The way people seem to think that no one knows what they're up to. The beggars know it all. We beggars have the most accurate and the fastest news grapevine in all Israel. We know everything. I knew about the carpenter being baptised by his cousin John the day after it happened. The wedding at Cana with the water into wine business, the loaves and the fishes, the healing of the sick, the disturbance he made right here in the temple with the money changes, how they threw him out of the synagogue in Nazareth, everything. I could have told you the exact day that the authorities decided to put a stop to him. From that day, he was a marked man. They were at every meeting, in every crowd. Experts in the law, high priests, the establishment. <laughs> well, he could handle them. As I say, one day he sat here next to me in the open talking to a huge crowd teaching making it simple suddenly a gang of pharisees and lawyers pushed their way through dragging a woman i knew her a man had left his wife for her not unknown such behavior plenty of it goes on the pharisees are holier than thou lot were there to make the carpenter look a fool or to say something they could hang a charge on. They pushed the woman forward, made a half ring around her. An adulteress, they screamed. Proven! Great Moses said, such women must be stoned to death. What do you say? The crowd was silent. Some of them edged forward, looking for stones. Very little difference between a crowd... And a mob, you know. 
the woman and Jesus just looked at each other. Then the carpenter sat forward and reached down and wrote something in the dust by his feet with his finger. His head down. He didn't hurry. The Pharisees and lawyers screamed for him to answer. Well, he got up and it went very quiet. Then he said, Yes, she sinned. Let the first stone be thrown by the one among you who has never sinned. Then he looked at the crowd and they went as still as he was. After a moment or two he sat down again, very calm. And again he bent down and wrote with his finger in the dust. As near to me as you are. Very quiet. Then people began to shuffle. And the eldest of the party who brought the woman walked away. Then another. Then another. Soon she was by herself. Jesus lifted his head from the finger rein and looked at the woman. All by yourself, he said. Everybody gone. No stoning. No sentence. Did no one condemn you? No one, she said. She was crying. I wasn't surprised. Jesus got up and went to her. And I don't condemn you either, he said. Go home. And don't do it again. She went out by that gate. And the crowd moved forward to surround the carpenter to be near him. Soon the writing in the dust was gone. And because I can't read, I shall never know what it said.
The Christ of Charlie Edenshaw for Roy Vickers. Dawnbringer, Raven, who let there be light. Shape changer, Raven, color of night. Manmaker, Raven, who sets things right. In the smoky lodge at night, they knew Klingit, Chilkat, Haida. On the beach at dawn, they knew Timshin, Kwakiutl, Maka. In the dripping cedar woods, they knew Belakula, Salish, Nutka. That raven who found man in a mussel shell, that raven, raven is the bringer of the light. Raven's children loved the touch of things. Opalescent abalone winking from a bear's carved head. Argillite like ebony, goat's wool, seal skin, spruce root twisted into cord, the glory of the thing, but most of all, the cedar. Raven gave them cedar and taught them how to carve to wake the full-fleshed forms within the incense of the tree. How eagle, whale, mosquito, bear, beaver, deer, and man made one long dance of chiseled flesh within the living wood. Raven taught the sacrament of the half-guessed thousand-fleshed god whose own hands carved the earth. And in front of the lodge in sunlight, beneath strong fingers, shavings curled away till what remained was wood made live again with raven's life, maker's life. When Jesus was born in Judea, here, between the cedars and the tide, old men already carved God's words in shapes like raven's eyes and waited on this rain-blessed coast for Lightbringer, Raven, blackened in the smoke hole trap, to spread white wings again, to brood within the Shaper's heart, the Shaper's touch half understood. What God spoke here in Raven's croak, because his Maker's hands were nailed to other wood.
Sighting by Lucy Shaw Out of the shame of spittle, the scratch of dirt, he made an anointing. Oh, it was an agony. The gravel in the eye, the rude slime, the brittle clay caked on the soft eyelid. But with the hurt, light came leaping, In the shock and shine, abstracts took flesh and flew. Winged words like view and space, shape and shade and green and sky, bird and horizon and sun turned real in a man's eye. Thus was truth given a face and dark dispelled. Tears away, and he whispers when he 
father's who has lost his little girl He begs the healer Come to her side A whispered word the daughter stirs Now she's alive Never by the door Her father stands amazed When he tells the story He will say Jeremy's Easter Egg, edited by Ron Reed. Jeremy was born with a twisted body and a slow mind. At the age of 12, he was still in second grade, seemingly unable to learn. His teacher, Doris Miller, often became exasperated with him. He would squirm in his seat, drool, and make grunting noises. Now and then he spoke clearly and distinctly, as if a spot of light had penetrated the darkness of his brain, but most of the time, Jeremy just irritated his teacher. She called his parents and asked them to come in. The foresters entered the empty classroom. Jeremy belongs in a special school. It's not fair to him to be with younger children who don't have learning problems. He's five years older than his oldest classmate. Mrs. Forrester cried softly into a tissue while her husband spoke. It would break his heart if he had to leave. He really likes it here. When they left, Doris sat staring at the snow outside. Its cold seemed to seep through the frosted window and into her soul. 
She wanted to sympathize with the foresters. Their only child had a terminal illness. But it wasn't fair to keep him in her class. She had 18 other children to teach. Jeremy was a distraction. And the fact was, he would never learn to read or write. Why keep trying? Guilt washed over her. She prayed, Lord, give me patience for this boy, for Jeremy. She tried hard to ignore Jeremy's noises and his blank stares, but things didn't get a whole lot better. Then, one day, he limped to her desk, dragging his bagged leg behind him. I love you, Miss Miller, he said it loud, and the whole class heard. They giggled. They poked each other. That's very nice, Jeremy. Now please, take your seat. Spring came, and Doris told them the story of Jesus. To emphasize the idea of new life, she gave each child a large plastic egg. Now, I want you to take this home and bring it back tomorrow with something inside that shows new life. Do you understand? The children were noisy and enthused, except for Jeremy. He listened intently. His eyes never left her face. Had he understood the assignment? Perhaps she should call his parents and explain. But that night, Doris's kitchen sink stopped up and she completely forgot about phoning Jeremy's folks. The next morning, 19 children talked and laughed as they placed their eggs in the large wicker basket on Miss Miller's desk. After arithmetic, it was time to open the eggs. In the first egg, Doris found a flower. Yes, a flower is certainly a sign of new life. When plants peek through the ground, we know that spring is here. A small girl in the first row waved her arm. That's my egg, Miss Miller. Thank you. The next egg contained a plastic butterfly, which looked very real. Doris held it up. We all know that a caterpillar changes and grows into a beautiful butterfly, so that's new life too. Judy smiled proudly. Next, Doris found a rock with moss on it. She explained that moss, too, showed life. Justin called out from the back of the classroom. My daddy helped me. He was beaming. Then Doris opened the fourth egg. The egg was empty. Of course, it had to be Jeremy's. He didn't understand the assignment. She should have phoned. Not wanting to embarrass the boy, she set the egg aside and reached for another. But that's my egg. Aren't we going to talk about my egg? It was an awkward moment, but there was no way of avoiding the conversation. I'm sorry, Jeremy, your egg is empty. He looked at her steadily. Jesus's tomb was empty. Time stopped. When she could speak again, Doris asked him, do you know why the tomb was empty? Because they killed him and put him in there, but his father raised him up. When recess came and the children ran outside, Doris stood alone in the classroom and wept. The cold inside of her melted completely away. Three months later, Jeremy died. At his memorial service, Doris was one of the few who understood why there were 19 plastic eggs on top of his casket all of them empty.
My life flows on in endless song Above earth's lamentations I catch the sweet though far off hymn That hails our new creation through all the tumult and the strife I hear the music ringing It finds an echo in my soul How can I keep from What though the tempest round me roars I hear the truth it liveth And though the darkness round me glows Songs in the night it giveth no storm can shake my inmost calm While to the rock I'm clinging Since love is Lord of heaven and earth How can I keep from When tyrants tremble sick with fear And hear their death now ringing When friends rejoice both far and near How can I keep from singing in prison cells and dungeon vile Our thoughts to them are winging When friends by shame are undefined How can I keep from Peace of Christ makes fresh my heart A fountain ever springing 
Since he is mine and I am his, how can I keep from singing through all the tumult and the strife? I hear the music ringing. It finds an echo in my soul. How can I keep from locked one door, and memory put her back to the other. Still the damp draft seeped in, though fear chinked all the cracks and blindness boarded up the window. In the darkness that was left, defeat crouched shivering in his cold corner. Then Jesus came, all the doors being shut, and stood among them. They drove me up a hill, Thomas. Thank you. 
guys up. Food for Risen Bodies, Part 6. No longer ravenous, they smoke and sip. Some carry tables out to get a feel for sun on skin again. More words are coming back, so there's a lot of naming. Old ones still hold good, oak, brook, crab, sycamore, but more are needed now. They mull potential titles for these new white bees, as sharp as stars against the ivories of cherry or magnolia. Word gets round. The bees were new creations made in honor of a poet. So they wait for him to choose. He's in no hurry. Cups them in his hands, weighs up the tenor of their hum. The sun brings color to the diner's sallow skins. Although these bodies were not theirs before, there are resemblances, and flesh retains a memory, even beyond death. So every lover's touch, each blow or cut, is rendered into echo on the hand, the lips, the neck. Some fall silent, while their own phenomenology is mapped across them. Others look astonished, expecting their new skin to be a blank sheet. But the man who went ahead to find a route for them came back with wounds intact and palpable. No pain, but a record, nonetheless, a history of love and war in blank tattoos. Judgment Day is drawing nigh, where shall I be? And God's own work of men shall try, where shall I be? When east to west the fire shall roar, where shall I be? How will it be for my poor soul, where shall I be? Tell me where shall I be when that great trumpet sounds? Where shall I be? When it sounds so loud, well, it'll sound so loud. Wake up the dead, tell me where shall I be when it sounds? When wicked men the wrath shall see, where shall I be? Unto the rocks and mountains flee, where shall I be? When hills and mountains are washed away, where shall I be? And all the works of men decay, where shall I be? Tell me where shall I be when that great trumpet sounds? Where shall I be when it sounds so loud? It'll sound so loud, it'll wake up the dead. Tell me where shall I be? When it's out All trouble done All conflict past Where shall I be And all the problems Bound at last Where shall I be And Christ shall shine From shore to shore Where shall I be And peace abide forevermore Where shall I be Tell me where shall I be when that great trumpet sounds? 
where shall I be when it sounds so loud? Well, it'll sound so loud, it'll wake up the dead. Tell me, where shall I be when it sounds? Happy Easter, everybody. <laughs>